Hey, so uh, last week we jumped back into Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, in jumping back in, uh, the inspiration of the illustration and really kind of the direction uh, came from Chuck, my buddy Chuck. Raise your hand, Chuck. I know you don't raise your hand. All right, good. It came from Chuck because we were in a Bible study on Monday night, either the week before or that week, and we were talking about the church of Pergamos and different stuff, and uh, we always talk about, hey, so what great revelation of Christ came stuck out to you. That's how we're approaching our Bible study on Monday nights in Revelation is what, what revelation of Christ, how, the exalted Christ being revealed to you, what stuck out to you about that that gives you encouragement? And uh, Chuck spoke up and he had said that God wants everyone on his team. Amen. God wants everyone on his team. That's even what he did back with Israel. He, he said, look, I'm going to create, I'm, I'm coming out, I'm, I'm creating a nation out of, out of Abraham. I'm creating a, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You guys are going to go into Egypt for a while. Uh, you're going to become 2 million. I'm going to create a nation one month or one year after they got out of Egypt. God writes Leviticus and he says, man, here's some, uh, it's pointing to the Messiah that I'm going to bring out of you one day because that's the purpose of Israel is that one day a Messiah would come out of them. We now know that the Messiah did come, but he said, here's what's going to happen in the meantime. I'm going to give you a set of rules to live by. And these rules, if you live by these rules I give you, everything you do is going to worship me. Everything you do will glorify me. Everything you do will point to one day me sending a Messiah. And he says, beyond that, though, these rules are going to be so weird, so different, that you will not be able to live by these rules and fit in any other society. So you're going to be kind of outcast, except for you two million, and then as you grow. But he says, when people see me blessing you, he said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to want that same blessing, and then you tell them, God is one. God made us, and, and, and God knows the best rules for us to live by. Um, I mean, he's a manufacturer, right? And so if they want to come and live and be a part of you, they have to live by those rules. And that was what the law was. That's what was going on at that point. And again, there, uh, when they broke the law, there was no provision. I mean, what was the penalty for breaking the, the moral law or even the ceremony? What was the penalty for it? Death, yeah. There was no for no. There was mercy if God chose to give mercy, but there was no provision. You know, all the sacrifices and things that for for uh, violating His law were things that you did on accident. In fact, um, Rose, do you know what happened? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? And you know what would happen to you as a little Jewish kid back then? You'd have been killed. No, I'm just saying. Seriously, death. That was it. Death. Disobeying your parents. Anything you did on purpose, that was death. But things you did on accident, there was provisions for that. And it was to show that one day there would be a savior in there. But the point is, is that God said, here's a set of laws, a set of rules to live by. And if you live by these, if that's your intention, if that's the desire of your heart, if that's what you do, I'm going to bless your socks off. Man, look, he blessed my socks off. <laughs> he said, I'm going to bless your socks off, man. And, and, and everybody's going to want to be a part of that. And again, it brings glory to me because if you live the way I, the creator, have told you to live, you're going to have a successful life. Nothing's really changed except the fact now we have forgiveness in this, but God still, are Christians supposed to live exactly like the world? No, we have a different, we don't have the ceremonial law anymore, but we have the moral law. The moral law never changed. It's still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to covet. It's still wrong to do all those things, 
But when you give your life to Christ, now you have his forgiveness covering you in everything. And that's what brings us together as a family. That's how you become a part of God's team. Laura, you're on God's team. How many teams were your boys on? Like, how many baseball teams were they on? Yeah, I can name two or three that we, in fact, every year, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, oh, we're on this team. Oh, that's awesome team. Good, scouts may look at us now, and we may get drafted or get a college scholarship or whatever. All those teams, trying to get on the best team. That's what, that's what the world's about, getting in the best job and on those best teams. But when you become a believer, you are on the winning team. You are on the best team. Isn't that awesome, guys? You are, how many of y'all are on that team? Let me see your hands. You're on that team. Yeah. And you didn't get on that team because you tried out for that team. Because if you'd have tried out for that team, what would have happened? <laughs> Dude, they would have sent you packing, man. You're the worst one-legged kickball player on this global, you know, elite kickball team. No, you, you stink. No, but God in his mercy came on you and said, Barb, I'm pursuing you. You're like, I don't want to be on this team. Oh, yes, you do, Barb. And God, I'll never forget. How long ago was that? Almost two years now? Yeah, look at her face, man. Y'all see that face right there? God pursued you. She said, one day, I think God's pursuing me. And I said, then let him catch you. (laughs) It's just like, let him just envelop you, just, you know. And was that a wrong decision? No, it was the best decision ever. And so once God gives you the desire and ability to believe that we're sinners, we've earned a trip to hell, we don't want to go there, but he has made a provision through his perfect life, Christ's perfect life, and then his death on the cross, that that he lets us believe that what he did on the cross covers us. Tiny, how long does it cover us for? Forever, man. It covers us forever. His blood covers us. And is there anything we can ever do to lose our position on the team? Anything we can ever do to be kicked off the team. No, once we're on the team, dude, we're on the team. You can't get cut. You can't get traded. You can't get let go. You can't be like, oh, on injured reserve and forever till everybody forgets about you. And then they kick you off. You can't. None of that happens. You're eternally on his team. How many of you ever been on a team where, man, you were the starting so-and-so? Anybody was ever starter on a team? Yeah, so you start, and then, and then have anybody ever been a starter, and then all of a sudden they bring in a better player at that position, and all of a sudden you're a bench warmer? Yeah, Scott. Eh? How does that feel, Scott? Yeah, it's humbling. It's like, dude, I don't even want to be on this team anymore, dude. They took my position. I don't Guess what? You have a starting position. Chris, you have a starting position on God's team, and no one's ever going to take your starting position because you're the only one who can play it. You are the only one who can play that position. Every one of you were created. He knew you were going to give your life to him. He knew you would become a born-again believer. He knew you would be on his team, and he created a special place for you on his team. Ralph, I, I don't know if your, te- your position in, in heaven is, has to do with pickleball. You probably hope it does, right? This is the pickleball king right here, y'all. Y'all need to talk to him. They, they, they play pickleball. I think pickleball has taken the place up north of bowling now. I'm not sure, but anyways, they play pickleball. Yeah, but I don't know what your position is, but there's no, is there any other Ralph like you? Are you pretty unique? No, there is not any. I'm telling you, I've met a lot of people and you're weird. You're different. There's no one like you. But let me ask you a question. How many of y'all know you're weird? Kevin, dude. Yeah, you especially, dude. Yeah, I'm just saying, how many of y'all know you're weird? That's why you even come to this church, because you don't have to act normal, right? 
It's like, whoo, I, I can be myself here, you know, and that's good. And I hope there's other churches like that too. But the point is, is you're unique. Nobody else is you. You got to be you who God created you to be. And you're only going to be fulfilled when you do what he's created you to do. And when you get born again, you follow him and he leads you in those paths and in those seasons that can constantly change. But every day, what do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. You're the only one who can play that position. Terry, can anybody else play your position? No. How about you? You're a coxswain. You, you were like, like telling your old coaches what to do, right? How'd that go? Did it go okay? Yeah, it went great. I mean, that's unique. Could you, 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 are there many, are there many, how old are you now? 14? Are there many 14-year-old girls that could have done that? No, God empowered you. He equipped you. He gifted you. And if you're not playing your position, who's, who's, what position are you playing? Some other position. And you know what? You stink at playing another position. You got to play your position. And there's no one who can come in and take your position. In fact, that's why you don't even recruit people for other teams. Well, they might come in and like take my position. They may bat ahead of me. They may do this. uh, You know, I may lose. No, you don't have to worry about that in the kingdom, dude. Everybody you invite in, God has already got a special position for them on this team. And the king, the team's purpose is to let the world know the kingdom is here. Amen? That, that, that this place doesn't last forever. This world system isn't going to last forever. But one day Christ is going to come back. Amen? Or you die. If you die, that's cool too because, man, I don't even know what it's like, but you're gonna, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Nobody's going to die and come back and go, oh, I wish I could go back to heaven. I mean, back to earth, right? You know. But if he comes back, how many of y'all like to be here for the rapture, dude? How many of y'all want to fly? You, that would be cool. And we won't even need you mechanics when we're flying, bro. Our plane ain't breaking down. But I'm, I'm just saying. But they need you now, okay? Right, Kevin? <laughs> Y'all need them airline mechanics. Yeah, the pilot. But, but in this, man, it's like he's coming back. He's going to get us. Next thing we got going on, guys, I've told you this before, we got seven years. We got seven years of a honeymoon with Christ. We're the bride, and he is the groom. And remember that when we get into this, Ephesians 22, we're the bride and he's the groom. And in our marriages, this is where we get to show the world what that looks like. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But we're the bride and we're, man, I, I, I don't even like weddings, but I'm going to like this wedding. I mean, I do like some weddings. I don't like formal weddings. All right. I'm just, and if you do, awesome. There's pastors that'll do your formal wedding, but not me. <laughs> Less, especially if I have to wear shoes, man, or long pants. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Pull my fingernails out with vice grips. No, I'm just like, I'm like, but anyways, I, some of you, I would do it for you. But anyways, I digress here. So look, man, we're going to have a wedding like you have never seen a wedding, man, with Christ in heaven, seven years of a wedding. Is that not going to be awesome, y'all? And, 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 and after it's seven years, what happens next, y'all? What, what happens next? Uh, oh, before that, yeah, we're we're once that seven years happens, we're in, with him for eternity. But it, after that seven years, you know what happens, Tom? You're gonna appreciate this. There is going to be a perfect planet with, and we're gonna have perfect bodies. You ever experience a perfect planet with a perfect body? Not a chance. Anybody here ever experience a perfect planet with a perfect body? No. We and, and guess how long we're gonna be in that, Terry? A perfect planet with a perfect body. 
You imagine the scuba diving that might get done there if God's like, oh, yeah, hey, I want you guys to go to Bali. Go, hey, Terry, go check out some lobsters under there for me. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to work. A perfect planet with a perfect body. And how long is that going to last, y'all? 1,000 years. So now we're up to 1,007 years. How many of y'all think it's worth waiting for? Right now, you're sitting there going, oh, this world, I can't believe what's going on. Oh, dude, look to your future and know God Almighty's got you right here at this point in time for a purpose, and you're on his team, and not only individual on his team, but you're in a marriage, you're in a job relationship, you're in a family relationship, and it's all part of the team that he's got to help you do what you're supposed to do. Sam, remember when we were walking around uh, Rotary Park on Friday? I was tired, and you were just kind of, you were kind of whiny. You were like, oh, my putting's horrible. I can't putt. And he's right. He couldn't putt, dude. He was horrible. No, I'm just messing with you. I mean, he was, he was like, you get in your own head, and he's missing putts. But then I'm there going, oh, my drive. I'm 20, 30 feet shorter than normal. And so I'm whining about drives. He's whining about putts. And Sam's like, hey, why don't we play doubles? <laughs> and, and he's like, that way we can use my drives in your putts. And I was like, that's kind of like cheating. <laughs> it's like, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I want to fix my drive, and you need to fix your putt. And I'm just like, but... But in reality, that's what God has done with us. He's put us on a doubles team. Or, dude, if you're a good driver, he puts you with a good putter. How many of y'all, how many, in a marriage, how many of y'all are married to a good putter because you're a horrible putter? How many of y'all married to a good driver because you're a horrible driver? <laughs> There's my wife going, yes, pastor, you're a horrible driver. That's why you're married. <laughs> so I must be the putter in the family, I guess, because I ain't the driver. But anyways, so he's put us on this team and, and, and you can't lose your position. You have a starting position. Can you imagine having an NFL player with a starting position? Man, he's, he's there, got a starting position. And you can imagine, down, set, Omaha, whatever. I don't know what they did. And, and all of a sudden, the offensive lineman's sitting there like this, not doing his position. How many of y'all have been caught doing this? When God's like, down, set, hut, go. And you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm waiting for my purpose in life. And I'm like, dude, your purpose is you're on his team and have a relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about because this relationship isn't just among the body of Christ, but it's especially in our homes. And that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians 5.22 when I get there. Keep going. All right, there we go. Oh, yeah, get me, get me to 22, JJ. That's good, because he thought I was going to try to repeat all of that again, because I've been known to, and last week the repetition took the whole time. So we're going to start at 22. Are we there yet? Oh, okay, here we go. And this is the passage of Scripture that everybody hates, right? Everybody hates this. That's why we've gone back to Genesis. That's why we're looking at what the whole Bible says about this submission. Because, dude, if I wanted to start a fight, dude, if I could go on CNN and preach this, just this with no background, if I could go on Fox, if I could just go anywhere, I'd go somewhere and bring this up in the world, would there not be a fight somewhere? 
Oh my goodness, yes. You want us barefoot, pregnant, and chained to the sink? No, I really don't, because how are you going to reach the stove to cook? No, I'm, just, no. <laughs> I'm messing with you because I'm the cook in the family, all right? <laughs> so, but I'm just, but literally, listen, man, that, that's, we have this whole idea, and that's not it. We have positions on a team. Dude, y'all heard this before. Hey, Steve. Man, yeah, uh, if, if, if men had to go through labor pains and physically deliver a baby, how many babies would each family have? Probably none because they wouldn't even make it through that. Yeah, they would have had to knock you out and cut the baby out and say, dude, don't ever try that again. But the world's trying it, aren't they? It's like, anyway. Yeah, women, I, I watched my kids born. I am not worthy. I am not. I am so glad God made me a guy. I have my responsibilities and you have yours. We have our positions on the team. And man, you know who picked your position on your team, on this team? The one who knows everything, the one who can do anything, and the one who's everywhere, and the one who created you uniquely in the womb and even knew who you would be before you were even in the womb. He said, dude, I'm going to need somebody in 20, it's 2022 still, right? And 2022, I'm going to need somebody. I told you the tide clock, the tide chart on my watch is more important than the time. But I need somebody at high tide. <laughs> How about we go with that? I need somebody to do this job at this time. And you know who he created? Ralph. Somebody to play pickleball where you play pickleball in your situation. He had to drag you all the way here from Mississippi and sell your house three times. Man, did God do that or what? That's why we celebrate at the beginning of our services of what God's doing. So we don't look at it as an accident. You look at it as, man, look what God did in setting all of this up for me to succeed in my starting position for him. So here he talks about one unit, and it's a crucial unit. Who put the family together, y'all? God, that's his idea. And do you know that the family, that is the building blocks for society, when you have strong biblical families, you have a strong society. And we know we don't have that anymore. And, and, and honestly, if you go back through history and you try to see how different people have overthrown civilizations, first thing they do is destroy a family. They separate a family. And they can do it through so many different ways. And I think we're living in a lot of that. But we have to do the best we can with what we have where we're at, man. And you make it work. The closer you can come to the biblical concept of a family, the better off you will be because God is the one who created you. God manufactured you. He made you. He can help you get maximum performance out of the vehicle he gave you to live life in if you will use it for what he created it for. It's when we try to do something else with. I think we used illustration one time at JJ's Guitar. If we were trying to use that as a sledgehammer, would that be a great sledgehammer? Only once, <laughs> you know, you know? But, but it's a wonderful guitar. Man, I have a feeling so many people, the world's been telling them, you're a sledgehammer, when in fact you're supposed to be a beautiful guitar that God's supposed to be playing. Man, that's why we have a relationship with him. That's why God puts us together. So again, Sam, okay, you, you, you're putting, and your putting's not as bad as I'm making for you. you. It's all in your head, bro. And, uh, and that's a hard place to get it out of, but I'm just saying, but man, I'm a horrible driver and you're a horrible putter, man. But what if both of us could, we, what if we were a doubles team and both of us could drive really good, but we could never putt? How would we do? What if we could only putt? 
Yeah, say it'd be better than, yeah, but it still wouldn't win a tournament, right? You need both. A, a quarterback, what does he need? You have great quarterbacks, great running backs, great receivers. What are they missing? An offensive line. You have a great offense, but you can't win. What do you need? A defense. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have a great defense, but you have no offense. Best you can do is tie. I, I'm just saying you need the balance. That's why God's made us all different. That's why we can't do life as individuals. We've got to have each other. And we're not in competition with each other. We're to complement each other. Not in competition. We're to complement each other. If you take your strengths and make fun of somebody that's weaker than you at something, man, God's got to teach you that lesson to not do that. Because, man, where they're weaker, you're stronger. And what are you supposed to do with your strengths? Skylar, what are you supposed to do with your strengths? Help To help those who are weaker. Because are you the all-powerful, almighty at everything, Skylar? So you're weak at something. Yeah, your brother's like, heck no, he ain't, man. <laughs> Both your brothers say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're weak. And where you're weak, you need somebody who's strong. God has an uncanny way of putting people together like that. How many of y'all are married to somebody or with somebody that's strong where you're weak and weak where you're strong? Aren't you glad? Dude, I tell my wife, it's like, man, if, if we spent money like you, we wouldn't have anything because we wouldn't buy anything. She's like, well, if we spent money like you, we wouldn't have anything so we wouldn't have any money. So it's like, awesome. Man, if, if my wife talked as much as me, we wouldn't have any friends. But if I talked as much as her, we wouldn't have any friends. We wouldn't have any. So you see how God puts opposites? It's benefit. You become more like each other, but you don't lose who you are. You complement each other, and you're not competing with each other. And we need to take that even outside the family, to our workplaces. We need to take it out in the community. We need to take it with churches. I am so grateful to be part of a kingdom church. That's why I tell you guys, I'm not trying to be mean, but I like, I tell you, I probably told every one of you at some point, if we don't scare you off, what do I say? Welcome to the family, dude. You're okay here. But if this is not the place for you, please let me help you find the place. Please. And it's not that I want to kick you out. It's just that if you're not supposed to be here, you're ripping off the church where you're supposed to be. If I'm not a kingdom church, then I'm a competitive church, and all I'm interested in doing is, is, is filling the pews. You know, it's all about nickels and noses, budgets and butts. And that's all you guys are at that point. And that's not what it is here. You guys are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love you with everything I got for the season that I have you here for, including you, Dean, twice a year with the guys you bring. Man, uh, Three times a year? Oh, my goodness, that many. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll remember our anniversaries from now on. All right, but, but yeah, that we're not in competition with each other. As churches, as people, as believers, we're all to complement each other. So when you see this submission, here's a good way to remember what submission means. It's not necessarily, it does mean to line up under rank to somebody, but more importantly what it means is to line up under the mission. Line up under the mission. You guys have a mission for your marriage? You're believers, right? And you have a mission. Together, you find out what God wants you to do with that mission, and that mission is to make disciples. In fact, the mission of a Christian marriage is to show people what heaven looks like. 
How many of y'all got a ways to go in your house? I'm just saying. But that's our mission, to live like Christ and, and, and see what heaven, we're supposed to show the world what heaven looks like. But it can only happen with two spirit-filled believers walking with him. Here's the triangle. Here's you. Here's your spouse. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. So you have a mission. That's what, and everybody gets under the mission. When a quarterback has a huddle, right? And where, where do you get the play from nowadays? From his helmet. But he got from the coach. All right. He's got the play. He now tell, calls the play. Everybody better be on the same page with the same mission. What if the receivers run their own uh, run their own thing, and it's not even a it's not even a pass play? What if what if the blockers block differently than what? I mean, it's chaos. We have God; He's our head, and we're the body. And He's going to show you that in a marriage, He's holding the man responsible for being the head, and He's asking the wife as the body to line up under the mission that God has given. And we're going to look at this. So He says, wives. Here it is. And no, by the time we get through these couple of verses, there's a twice as much for the man to do. All right? So, so nobody hit me. Don't shoot the messenger. Here it is. It's a beautiful thing God has done. Wives, submit. Put yourself under the mission God has given your family. If you are not under the mission God has given your family, you are not submitted to the Lord. Look what he says. Submit your to your... All right, first of all, submit to who? Terry, who does it say? Your own husband. So Fernanda, we're not in a society where she, how many of y'all are husbands here? Let me see your hand. How many, uh, so we're not in a society where Fernanda has to submit to all of the husbands? No, that's, and that's a good thing to remember because there's many societies, many cultures, many places that do it. No, to her own husband because God put them together as a team. They're the team. And the most valuable uh, position she has is giving her husband advice because man when he's a decision maker is his decisions ever cloudy yeah i guess mine i mean do you ever need help to see it from a different perspective maybe a woman's perspective maybe somebody just the opposite we might think we don't but when we get it it's like oh some of the stupidest things i have ever done in my life is to go against my wife's counsel now, I'm going to be the one held responsible for what we do as a family. When it comes down to it, and I give her, God's going to say, what did you do? But the woman, <laughs> how did that work for Adam? <laughs> but the woman you gave me. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, don't be blaming me on this. You are the one I'm holding responsible. You're the one that I put as the head. She's part of the body. She's a very valuable part of that body, and you're an idiot if you don't listen to her. Because I'm going to show you things through her that I can't show, that I'm not going to show you any other way because that's how you're going to listen. Wives, submit to your own husbands, your own husbands. And we could go on along with that, but he says, as to the Lord. Now, what this doesn't mean is, oh, the husband is God. That's not what it means. And there's many cultures that have taken that as like, you know, pastor gets up and the husband is God. And anything you do to go against that or, you know, talk against it, man, you're going to hell. No, it, it says, it's what it's saying is that, is that if you're not submitting to your husband, and I'll talk about the conditions of submission here in a minute, but if you're not submitting to your husband, you are not walking with God. You're not submitting with your, to your husband, you are not submitting to God. That's what he's saying. If you want to submit to God, then submit to the man that God gave you in this partnership. Just the same way on a ball team. You're the quarterback and the coach calls in a play and you call your own play. You call your own play aside from that? Are you in submission to the coach? 
No, you're not in submission to the coach. And, 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 and so that's what he's saying. The same way that if you want to, as a woman, want to be in submission to God, then you need to be in submission to your husband. Now, there is no unqualified submission for wives, for employees, for children. There's no unqualified. And here's the qualification. If a government, if a husband, if a, a parent, if an employer wants you to do something against God's word, then you got to stand with God over that. There's no unqualified submission. If you submit unquestionably to anyone but God, you're guilty of idolatry. God is the only one who is perfect and worthy of unconditional submission. God says, jump, what do you do? You jump. God says, walk backwards. What do you do? You walk backwards. You don't, I mean, you can ask why all these things, but the fact is, whatever God says to do, you do. Now, the submission part is you're lining up just under the mission. And here's what happens sometimes is wives will be like, well, I think I know better what God wants than what God wants, than what my husband wants. That's not your position. If they're not asking you to do something against God, if just because it's not your style, not the way you would do it, why in the world do you think he put that person in your life? There might be a better way. In fact, here's a prayer I want you to pray. If you have any problem with authority at all, and Lord knows, how many of y'all think I got a little rebellious flair in me? Just a little. Yeah. You've been on vacation with me, dude. You're like, what do you mean? No, no, like, but yeah, I got to deal with the Proverbs 21.1. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Proverbs 21.1. Here's what it says. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turns it whatever way he wants. Let me pick that apart for you. The king in Proverbs is anyone who is in authority, okay? Anyone who is in authority. On this trip, Dean, you're in authority, right? Hey, y'all think, has Dean already made any decisions? Y'all probably in the back of the bus are going, yeah, what's he doing, man? Oh, this guy's like going, yeah, watch this kid right here. I'm just saying, watch him. I'll just, I'll do that for your own good, brother. No, I'm just messing with you. But, but, but literally, so there's going to be decisions your authority makes that you're going to be like, I don't know about that. But I'm just telling you as a wife, if they're not asking you to violate scripture and you don't submit, you are not in submission to God. So don't give me your little holy roller pious act if you're not submitting to your husband, he's not asking you to do something against God. Oh, I'm more spiritual. No, you're not. You're in the same boat as the person when he says, hey, if someone's offended you, go to them and talk to them and, and try to reconcile. Go to them and tell them, hey, this is what I, you did to offend me. You, but, but we have passive aggressive people sit back. Oh, I'm holy and pious and I don't want to start any trouble. But around your friends, you're having roasted whoever that is, Right. You have to take the, you need to be in submission to your husband the same way that someone on a football team would be submissive to the coach. You wouldn't argue that position, would you? It's the same thing. And besides, if the play doesn't work, who's going to get the blame for it? He is. <laughs> you know, your husband is in this. Now, again, if they're asking you to do something against God, boom. If you think they're making a mistake, Please speak up, <laughs> please, because, man, we don't know. There's things, again, God shows us that he won't show us any other way except through y'all. Any men want to say amen to that? Amen. I need my wife. If both of us were the same, one of us wouldn't be necessary. 
If we were both the same, strengths and weaknesses, that's what we would have as a family. But here's what God does. And it's been beautiful through submission to watch God do that. I have to submit, you're going to see later, I submit to her. I submit to my family. That's the man's job is to be the servant, to love his family, love his wife the way Christ loves the church. And so we'll get to that. Wife, submit to your own husbands. As you are submitting to the Lord is what that says in the Greek is how it's written. So if you're not in submission to your husband who is not asking you to do something against Scripture, you are not in submission to the Lord. And you need to repent. Plain and simple. The same way I'll be having some strong words for men. But I have dealt with a lot of women, especially when they don't have husbands that are in church and stuff, that are like, oh, yeah, well, he can't. No, no, dude. If they're not asking you to do something against Scripture, man, you know what? God's putting them in charge. God's going to hold them accountable. What's he holding you accountable for? Your what? Your submission. He's not holding you accountable. Well, this guy wasn't worth submitting to, and so I didn't agree with him. And so God's like, yeah, you're disobedient. God's holding you accountable as to the submission. So here's Proverbs 21.1. Listen to this. As the, the king's heart, the king is anyone in authority, okay? Anybody in authority. It doesn't say where they're saved, unsaved. doesn't say whether they're walking with God. In fact, it, it doesn't matter. The king, the person in authority. Anybody in authority is in authority by whose design? Joe Biden is our president by whose design? Who, ele- who put Joe Biden as the president of the United States? I don't want to know all the little people. Who's the person who put Joe Biden as president of the United States, according to the Bible? God Almighty did. The same dude who put Fauci in charge. Whether you agree or don't agree with any of all of this, bottom line is anybody in leadership is there because God put them there. So if you're in leadership of something, who put you there? God. He put you there. The king, his heart. You know what happens in the heart? The heart is where you make decisions. That's where decisions are made. So whether he's saved, unsaved, spiritual, not spiritual, I don't say any of that. The one God put in charge. And God has his reasons for putting people in charge and taking people out, right? The the, the king, the one in charge, he put their heart is in the hand of the Lord. So their heart, where they make their decisions, is in whose hand? God's hand. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. You may have a wicked, horrible boss at work. Oh, my goodness. And as long as he's not asking you to do anything against Scripture, you need to submit. Well, that's not very, that's not, that's not, that's, you know, a lot of it's preference. That's what I found out in my life after I share, share this prayer with you. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So who's actually controlling their heart? Who, and, and, but here's how he does it. He said, the king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it whatever way he wants. So let me ask you a question. Uh, up at the cove, where we're at the cove, man. Uh, we were at the cove snorkeling. We were at the cove uh, paddleboarding. That water goes, and the water turns, and then the water turns again. What is it that makes the water turn? You got a current, but if you just only had a current, the water. Would be, what is it that gives the current the boundaries? The bank. The bank. In other words, when the water hits here, what happens? It has a choice of flooding over, but if the bank is stronger then the bank puts pressure on the water and the water turns. 
So the bank puts pressure on the water. And then when the bank hits the other side, it puts pressure on it to turn it this way. So the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, God's not going to make you boss your authority, do anything. You know, he's not going to make them do anything, but he's going to put pressure on them. He's going to put pressure on them to turn them like the rivers of water. So let me ask you a question. Who can put better pressure on an authority to turn them, you or God? Who? But who usually takes the first initiative to try to put pressure on their authority? Everybody say, no, not you, you, me. Everybody say me. <laughs> yeah, it's easy for us to say you. But uh, no, I want you to take, right, I'm going to ask that question again. And I want you to take both thumbs and I want you to say me. All right, hang on. So who is it? that generally takes first move in trying to put pressure on authority to change them when they're not doing what I want them to do, dadgummit, right? Who is it? Me. Mm. Whose job is it? So guess what? When we take the authority and start trying to put pressure on our authority to change them, then what happens to our fault in the matter, if we even had any fault? <laughs> because now... Doesn't our fault lessen and lessen, lessen, and it's all them, 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 and them. It's not my fault. You know, if they, it's all them, they're messed up, and it's not me, right? That's why God did it the way he did it. He puts the pressure on them, and I have to sit back and wait for God to do that. Okay, Karen, you think God's big enough to change anyone instantly if he chooses to? Instantly. So if he doesn't do it, what does that mean? It doesn't need to be done right now. How many of y'all have a hard time with that? <laughs> it does need to be done right now. It should have been done yesterday. But man, it, it need, doesn't need to be done right now. So here's how God taught me how to pray this prayer. When I personally am having problems with authority, I say, God, you show them where they're wrong. You know what that keeps me from doing? Keeps me from trying to show my authority where they're wrong. God, you show them where they're wrong. Do you, do you think God's big enough to show your authority where they're wrong? How many of y'all got some hard-headed authority? And, and if it's your husband, don't let us know that's who you're talking about. But how many of y'all got some hard-headed authority? You've ever had a hard-headed boss? You ever had a hard-headed somebody? Yeah. God's big enough to put pressure on them to change their direction. And if you don't believe that, the problem's then with your theology, and maybe God's trying to shape you. God's big enough to change any authority. And that's what he's trying to get us to do. So God, you show them where they're wrong. And guess what the second part is? And then God, please show me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I know I'm not really wrong, God. All right, because I have justified this out. God, in that little instant, teeny, weeny, tiny little bit where I might have been just a little wrong, God, show that to me. You know what God usually does in that you know what I find out that he's usually done when I have a problem with authority? It's not about my authority. It's me. He's breaking out the 80-grit sandpaper on a belt sander, going, trying to shape me into the image of Christ. He uses authority to do that. Nine times out of ten, it's not my authority. It's me. God can make my circumstances more favorable if he wants to. So listen, Proverbs 21.1, this is valuable in dealing with it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he'll turn it whatever way he wants. He'll put pressure on that authority to turn it whatever way he wants. And he's big enough to do that. So you pray and say, God, you who are way more powerful, way more knowledgeable, way more omnipresent than me, will you please change my authority? 
because I think they're wrong. God, you show them where they're wrong. But God, please show me where I'm wrong. And I'm going to tell you almost every time, he may change your authority, but he's also going to change you. And that's what I found he's always trying to do with me. Whereas if I just try to change my authority, dude, man, it's all on them and I don't ever change. What a tragedy if I never change because he's just trying to make me more like him. So he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's to the Lord. If you're not submitting to your husband, you're not under the mission that God has given your husband that you two have come together with as a team, but he's pretty much calling the shot. He's the quarterback. You're, you're running back. You're something all valuable. If you're not submitting to him, you're not submitting to the Lord. Now, if he's trying to get you to go out and go buy crack for him and be a prostitute and all this, uh, whatever, I'm being facetious, but if he's calling you to do something that's illegal, something that's against God's word, yes, by no means you submit to him. You submit to God over that, but that's not what we're dealing with most of the time. In fact, in Genesis chapter three, what did God say was going to be part of the curse to the woman? He said, I'm going to give you a desire to be the boss of your husband. How many of y'all would testify that God has given women the desire to be the boss of their husband? Anybody got guts to raise their He's like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, man. But that's what God said. So whether you agree with it or not, that's what it is. I'm going to give you the desire to be boss of your husband, but I'm going to put him in charge over you. So you already got conflict. And the only way to overcome the conflict is what? To being spirit-filled. To being filled with the Spirit where instead of being selfish, now you are selfless. And now you want nothing more than to please the other person. The way you did when you were dating, right? (laughs) You know? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, because if you're not submitting to Him, you're not submitting to the Lord. I don't care what you say on that. For the husband, he's the head of the wife. (gasps) But he says, look, just as here's a no-brainer for you. How many of y'all believe Christ is the head of the church? Yeah, he's head of the church, and we're the body. How many of y'all are glad you're not the head? Anybody glad they're not the head of the church? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the head of the church. I'm glad I'm just the body. I'm only one piece of the body. I can't even, even if I'm the little pinky finger. Man, if you're just a little pinky finger, how many of y'all haven't even done a good job at being the pinky finger sometimes? Let alone if you were the head trying to control the whole thing. He's like, Dude, just as Christ is head of the church, the body in him, and in fact, he's not saying the husband's savior of the woman and all this. What he's saying, dude, you don't question the fact that Christ is head of the church and that church is his body and he's their savior. He's earned that right. That's who Christ is. In the same way you believe that fact, believe the fact that husband is head of the wife. Let me ask you a question. What's more important, the head or the body? Yeah, can you imagine a head? <laughs> you guys come in, oh, here's Jojo, and we've we got special chairs for heads, <laughs> you know, and no bodies. <laughs> it can't exist. It need it, can you imagine if that were the case? Uh, what if we had bodies with no heads? <laughs> I mean, those are horror movies, aren't they? <laughs> you need a body with a head. And what happens physically when our head and our body are not in alignment with each other? When the body's not doing what the head wants, isn't that a problem? And that's what we get therapy for. That's what we get treatment for. That's what we get things. There's a problem. A world-class athlete, man, their head and their body, the hand-eye coordination, the movement is so finely orchestrated. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's the same thing in the church. But in one of the units he puts together, which is the family unit, 
it's got to be the wife being the body and the husband being the head. And I know there's a lot of women walking around in church world feeling like a headless horseman because their husband's not a spiritual leader. But by the same token, I know there's a lot of just heads walking around <laughs> because their wife is doing her own thing. Does do either one of those work? Because our society has taught us to be individuals, to chase our own dreams, to be your own person, to go after what you want, what you want's important, what you want to pursue is important. But guess what? When you get married, how many people are involved? Biblically, let me just clarify that. Biblically, how many people are involved? Yeah, oh, there's God. Yes, okay, there's God. But there's two humans involved, right? Two become what? One. And when you bring one together now, how important is unity when you have one, when you become one? If two become two and stay two, which is what modern marriage, many of it is. In fact, it's even expanding on more than that. But two become two. Dude, does it matter if you're in unity? No, you do what you want to do, do what you want to do, do until it doesn't work anymore. And then you go find another individual to go do it. But it what a beautiful thing when two become one. Two become one. And in order to have for two to become one, you got to have the word unity. And that means selflessness as opposed to selfishness, which is what the world is teaching us to be. Because Satan would love nothing more than to destroy God's family and his family structure. The family is the building block to society. You go look at all the studies where there's strong families and, and societies where there's not. You know, society would, Satan would love to destroy it because it's a picture of the relationship of church in Christ. And he would love to destroy that. So the husband, he's the head of the wife. This isn't saying, oh, you better be chained to a sink, barefoot and pregnant, whatever. No, that's not what it's talking about. You assume your role. Dude, when I played football, I was glad. I got to be quarterback one year, and I didn't want all that pressure. I was like, dude, put me back here as a fullback, dude. Let me just run. Stick my head down and run. That's all I want to do, you know? He's equipped you for the position he's put you in, and there's not a better position for you to be in than the one he put you in. And so we assume our roles, but often we're like, oh, if I was the quarterback, oh, well, if these running backs would do their job, if, you know, if this husband would do it, if this wife would do it, instead, look at yourself. Go look in the mirror and say, if I become the wife I'm supposed to be, or if I'm the husband I'm supposed to be. You single people out here, man, you know how you attract the person that you want to be married to? By becoming that person, becoming attractive to that person, you become the person you would like to be married to. And dude, the other people will stay away from you, or if they do, they ain't going to stick long. So man, for the husband's head of the wife, if you believe the fact that Christ is head of the church, and he, because he's the Savior, and the church is the body, it's the same picture, and God wants it to be a beautiful picture. He says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should submit in everything to their husbands, okay? Again, everything is a qualified statement. If we submit to everything Christ wants us to submit to, we do it because he's perfect. How many of you men are perfect? I dare you to raise your hand right now because you have just blown your perfection if you raise your hand. You have just lied. In the Yeah, you, you, you aren't. So we can't expect 
a wife to submit in everything. In fact, you know what? There's things I'm wanting. Like, oh, hey, honey, let's go do this. This would be really awesome. And then my wife's like, oh, did you ever think about this, that this might happen if we did that? And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. How many of y'all wives can identify with that? You have saved your husbands from making some bonehead decisions. Uh, you can say, it's all good. That's what you're in our life for. One of the things, right? And vice versa. As a church submits to Christ, so wives should submit and everything. If you're a team, if you're a team, what happens if you've got two quarterbacks on the field at the same time? Florida tried that, I thought, didn't they? And they were horrible. <laughs> I'm just saying, you got two leaders, it's not good. Too many chefs in the kitchen spoil the, yeah, the pot, the stew, whatever. Yeah, somebody's got to be in charge. Karen, are you the head dog cookie maker? You are the head dog cookie maker, man. You ever had somebody come and get a little too intimate in your kitchen trying to take over and become the head dog? They tried. Yeah, <laughs> they tried. It doesn't work <laughs> because you're not exactly the same. Somebody's, yeah, and you have learned to submit, right? You've learned to submit because you don't want her to beat your butt. No, I'm just saying, no. <laughs> it can come down to that. No, you, you submit because it's like, otherwise you just spend all your time fighting. Let's just do it Karen's way. And if they don't turn out good, who gets the blame? Karen. Yes. And that's not why we listen, so we can escape the blame. But no. It, but what if it's like, Karen's like, well, she keeps messing me up. Then, dude, the boss, like, well, both of y'all learn to get, stop. How many times has God ever told us just stop? <laughs> Play your position. Play your position. Look at this. So now, super quick, husbands. What did he say? Simple command. What, Laura, what, what do you tell husbands to do? What are those three words? Love your wives. That's what he says. Whew. Boy, didn't, aren't you glad he gave us an easy one? Scott, dude, aren't you glad he gave us an easy one? I mean, Cora at all times. There has never been a time in your life where you've woken up next to her and she's not lovable, right? <laughs> You're a smart man. You're a smart man. In fact, when I do a wedding, when I do weddings, I talk about this ring. I always ask for permission because my pastor used the rings to talk to me. Uh, and it's kept, this ring has kept me out of so much trouble in my marriage. And if you know me, I've gotten in a lot of trouble in my marriage. So imagine what would happen if I didn't have the ring. All right. So one thing, when we have the ring, first thing is, you know, the ring is made out of gold. And when it came out of the ground, it wasn't this beautiful. In fact, it was a chunk of dirt, right? Had a little piece of gold in it. And what does, what has to happen to that chunk of dirt, all those chunks of dirt in order to get pure gold out of it? Dude, you got to crush it, put pressure, put intense heat on it. You got to mush it, man, and you got to purify it. Has there ever been any crushing and munching and high pressure in your marriage? <laughs> yes, there has. And if you think that that's there to destroy your marriage, then that's what it'll do. But if you can look down at your ring and say, okay, God is doing this. He's put this pressure and, 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 and heat in my marriage to make my marriage more beautiful. You got a lot better chance of surviving that pressure and heat, don't you? Because you got the right perspective. Cool. God's trying to make me more beautiful. And it's not my spouse. He's trying to make me more beautiful. I'm looking at my ring saying, how do I respond to this pressure and heat to make my marriage more beautiful? Because it's easy to blame another person. And then again, we miss it, what we're supposed to have happen. But the second thing on this ring is it's round. 
And round always kind of symbolized an eternal covenant with God, his unconditional love, you know, that he has his agape love. Did Christ love us because we were beautiful? Did Christ love us because, oh, we danced like gazelles and we, you know, we're just, we're, did he, did, what did we have to offer him? Why did he love us? Dude, we're messed up, man. He loved us because he could fix us, <laughs> you know? He, he loved us because he chose us in all of this. And through his love, he makes us more beautiful. So in this, this eternal love, when I think of it, if by chance, I, my, my wife's back here in the corner. Just wave your hand so I know who you are. She's one, yeah, all right, that's it. She's, she's not a real public person, right? But she's back there. She really hates it when I draw attention to her so nobody look, all right? But, <laughs> but if by chance, and this is like just got to be a rare, rare moment that I wake up and I look at her and she's unlovable. If you wake up next to somebody and they're unlovable, or you encounter somebody and they're unlovable, what does our nature want to do? Uh, who said that? Oh, okay, run away. That's one of the options. You know, in this society with our cameras, you know what we'd like to do? Man, I'm telling you, this might work. <laughs> Don't, no, I'm joking. Just put it on video. Take a video of them and then being nasty and mean, Put it on Facebook, Instagram, and all your social medias, and then let them see it. Send it to them, personal message. No, just personal nothing. Just send it out there, and they will see it, and they will be so shamed by the way they acted that they will come back going, oh, I am so sorry. I, I mean, y'all, follow me for more marriage advice. <laughs> now, how many of y'all know that's not the way to do it? <laughs> Please raise your hand that you know that's not the way to do it. Okay, good. Because I want to make sure nobody, like, well, the pastor said it, nobody agreed with him, but I did because I'm submitting to, you know, the, no, I'm joking. In fact, what is an a person who's being unlovable, what do they need? Kevin, what does a person who's being unlovable need more than anything? Love. Is it real easy to love somebody who's being unlovable? No. So you need supernatural powers. You have to become super Kevin, right? Where in the world can you find some supernatural power from him? If you have to make yourself a love cape, just put it on to remind yourself. <laughs> but I'm just saying what you do, though, because what's our natural inclination when somebody's being nasty? Boom, right back at them. And then boom, right back at us. And before we know it, man, we're like Batman in the jump. Pow, zam, wing, instead of loving each other, right? So here's what this ring reminds me to do. This ring reminds me that if by chance I encounter somebody who's not being lovable, which I don't get a lot of opportunities with my wife, but if, if you know, because she's always lovable, but am I getting brownie points now? No, I'm just digging myself deeper. But if you come across somebody unlovable, man, look down at that ring and say, God, will you give me the ability to love my wife? Because right now she needs some love. I love her and she needs love. And I don't know, she doesn't need the kind of love I can muster up in the flesh. She needs the kind of love that comes from you. Will you use me as a vessel? And whatever God says to do, love her with that. And it doesn't have to just be the husband and wife. It can be your kids. It can be your coworkers. It can be anybody who's being unlovable. Give me the, God, help me have the ability to love them, to know what to do. Like that mother with that baby is doing right now. 
See, look, you gave that baby love, man. We were praying for you. Teach her how to love her child. Yeah, she's good. All right, I'm messing with you. Only because I know you and love you. All right, so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Dude, this is total. If you think the husband's supposed to be this ogre over top going, kids, get in line, wife, you know. He's missed his point. Because his point is he's supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the husband's role is to be totally sacrificial. Everything he does is for his wife, not him. Hey, husbands, Ben, I'm going to pick on you, man, man. Is it beneficial for you to love your wife? Yes. Are you just saying that? Or is he, really, do you truly believe that? Oh, I believe it. How many of y'all believe yeah, Chris, is it beneficial to love your wife? Yes, you can raise your hand on it. Yes, it's beneficial. It's way better than hating them, right? Because life gets pretty nasty in there or, or being mean or being, it's much better to love. Isn't that what happens when Christ loves us? He makes us more beautiful. Look, that's what he's getting ready to tell us here. He said that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So you want to know how to love your wife? You look at what the word of God says on how to be a loving person, where love comes from, what love looks like. Go, man, just if you want to get a tattoo, get 1 Corinthians 13 somewhere on your eyelids. I'm just saying, just whatever, dude, it's right. You look to the word of God. You take your family and you raise them according to the Word of God, not just when it's favorable, but even when it's hard, all the time. That's what a spiritual leader is. God's calling you to be the spiritual leader, guys. And women, if you aren't married and you can't line up under a guy that you're thinking about marrying because you think you're going to change him, remember, he is not a diaper. Did you get that? He is not a diaper. You're not going to change him. Period. God can, but why don't you wait for that to happen first? <laughs> Again, you wait. If you can't submit to the guy you're married, don't marry him. Because that's what he's saying the team looks like. That's how the team is successful. And the man needs to be a spiritual leader and say, you know, man, I know our neighbors are cheating, but we're not going to cheat. You know, I know they lied in this situation. But we're not going to lie. What would be pleasing to God in how we operate and what we do in this situation? And you operate by the word and therefore you teach because you teach your family that. You teach your wife and she may be teaching you also in that. But the fact is you're the one who's going to be held accountable. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's talking about eternal death. But the fact is if you sin, in your family, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be death of dreams, hopes, desires. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life, we live according to the way he wants us to live. You got things money can't buy. You got awesome things that God keeps doing. That's what the spiritual leader does. It says, man, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. You love your wife, men, because that's going to make her better. Terry, what's the opposite of loving your wife? Or what are some alternatives? Yeah, not loving her. You're a smart man. You're an engineer. That's why I asked you that, right? Yeah, not loving her. But then you're loving you. You're loving a hobby. You're loving something else. Is that going to make your wife better, putting her second, third, fourth, fifth way on down the list? 
What's going to make your wife the best? Loving her. Yeah, the way Christ loves the church. That's what a Christian marriage is. She's first. There's Christ is first. She's second. Your kids are even third. Everything else is way down there. You want to be the best. You got to be the best Christian you can be to be the best daddy you can be. Or I mean, to be the best husband you can be, to be the best daddy you can be, to be the best employee you can be, to be the best citizen you can be. But it starts with keeping your priorities of God, your family, your job in line. But the world's flipped it upside down. And everybody's working. And the job has become God. Or us. But God, your family, your job, you love people, it makes them better. How many of y'all agree with you? You love someone, it makes them better. How many of y'all would say, yeah, you want to make me better? Love me. <laughs> you know, Selma, when, when you're feeling loved, are you better? What, what do you feel like when everybody's picking on you? Dude, not, not as good as when you're feeling loved, right? Yeah, that's what he's saying. You want good? Hey, mama's happy. Yeah, there you go. The world's got all kinds of sayings for it. All right, look at the rest real super quick. So that he, Christ is loving the church. Now, Paul gets off on a diversion talking about the church and that thing. Oh yeah, I'm talking about marriage. Let me bring it back. So he's like, oh, so that Christ, what he wants to do is present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And that is how he's going to present the church. You, can you believe that's a definition of you? You look in the mirror and that's what you're supposed to see. One day you will be that. You will be in splendor without spot. How, how many of y'all like the next part without wrinkle? Anybody go with that one? <laughs> and I'm talking everywhere. I'm just saying. He said wrinkle. He didn't tell you where the wrinkles were going to be. He said without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, you might be holy and without blemish. You're going to be perfect. That's why Christ loves us to make us perfect. That, we're loving people to make them better. And you already know love makes people better than loving yourself to try to get them to make you better. You know, selflessness makes, gets better results than selfishness. In the same way, look what he says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And now I know we got sadistic, whack people in this world, but the fact is selfishness. Loving yourself is, is our human nature. And he said, if you would love your wife more than you love yourself, it's all going to work out. He said, no one ever hated his own self. That's why we come in selfish. I want my own thing. I want my own way. I want me. No one ever came into the world selfless. He said, but instead, all we, everything we do nourishes and cherishes our, us. That's our selfishness. But here he says, no one ever hated his own body. But instead, he says, nourish and cherish. We cherish that body just as Christ has done the church. So what if we nourished and cherished each other? How many of y'all would like to be nourished and cherished by somebody? Isn't that good? Rather than used and abused? I'll give you two. How many of y'all want to be used and abused? Okay. <laughs> How many of y'all want to be nourished and cherished, man, and loved? Yeah. That's what he's talking about. He said, that's what Christ is doing to us. He said, because we're members of his body. Hey, so who's a member of Christ's body in here? Every one of y'all. So we should be doing this with each other. Now, your wife, not the same way you do your wife, all right? Just clear that up. It's different. But we're supposed to be nourishing and cherishing each other. But if we're supposed to be doing that with everybody, we're especially supposed to be doing it in that marital relationship. It's all about them. 
where do you want to go out to eat after church, honey? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, how about here? Oh, not that place. Where do you want to go out to eat, honey? I don't care. Oh, how about this one? Oh, heck no, not that one. Where do you want, where do you want to go out to eat? We're going here. It's like, no, as long as it takes to pry it out of them. <laughs> That's nourishing and cherishing, dude. There's a real live example for y'all in about a half hour at minimum. So y'all can be thinking, look at your rings. Dear God, give me the ability to love my wife right now or my husband right now. Give me the ability. You guys need to go to Sonny's. And unlike last week's group, I sent them there for $9.99, all you can eat chicken. And they were so looking for salivating like Pavlov's dog. And then I find out Tuesday they didn't go because they, we didn't see it on the menu. I'm like, no, dude, it's there on Sundays. It's like church, it's there. You just got to ask. So y'all like fried, y'all like uh, smoked chicken and fried, all the side, $9.99 is your best deal. Ask. It's not on the menu. But, and I might have just helped some of y'all out, all right? Oh, and, and let me just throw this. This is like side note, and I promise I'm going to get done here in a second. But so wives, if you're like my wife and you're like, I really don't care where we eat. Food's not as important to me as it is to you. Then you know what? A wonderful opportunity for you to show us how much we love us is pick a place we like. <laughs> oh, because I love you. Let's go eat all you can eat chicken. And I'll just get unlimited sweet tea. And that's it. And it works for everybody, right? So I'm just saying, it's all good. Because we're members of one body. <laughs> well, all right, here we go. Paul brings it back, and I will bring it back. Shh, reeling it back. Therefore, he says, here, here's, I, got, I got off track with the church, he said. I got off track with lunch, but he got off track with the church. He said, therefore, look, here's a summary of it. A man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Two become one. That takes unity. That takes love. Two become one. One don't stay one. If that's where it's going to be, then that's what it's going to be. And if that's what you choose to have, then that's what you choose to have. But understand, that's what the results. It's only going to work until it just doesn't work. But the way you grow closer to each other and closer to God is two becoming one. And that may seem like an impossible task. Jessica, how long y'all been married now? Five years? That long? Oh my goodness. Y'all ain't even newlyweds anymore. But yeah, dude, y'all are already glued together, man. I ain't even talking now. But yeah, is it, is it a hard thing for two to become one? Especially when he doesn't want to do it your way, you know? And, and if you always just give in, okay, it's not worth the fight. I'm doing it her way. One day you're going to be resentful. One day something's going, I want it this way. And they're like, whoa, where'd that come from? You always do what I want to do. <laughs> Two become one. That's what we're striving for, y'all. And it's a beautiful thing. That's Christ and the, and the, the head and the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father or mother, meaning that that relationship, Ashley and JJ's relationship is more important, it takes more value than Ashley's relationship to me as her dad. When I gave her away, when I gave her away, I gave away the right to be the head man in her life to JJ. And I'm grateful that I had someone who can love my daughter the way he loves my daughter. What a beautiful thing that is. Yeah, you all can clap for that. <laughs> 
Because boy, it'd be hard if he wasn't. <laughs> I have guns. <laughs> no, I'm just like. <laughs> Two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it that refers to Christ and the church. However, look, here, here's a summary right here. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So even if you're not married, even if you're in another, you know, maybe you're past that, maybe you're not there. Is that not a bad way to deal with people, period? Love the other person and make sure you're respecting them. I mean, isn't that what you want, love and respect? So that's where we're at. And um, in the infamous words of Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what unconditional love is. Thank you for making it possible for you to live inside of us so that we could have that unconditional love inside of us so that it can come out. Father, I think about if you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. When you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ, especially in our relationships with the people that we really truly love. Father, I pray that you would renew every marriage here where it would be about loving and respecting each other. Even though maybe there's some hard times and hard circumstances getting in the middle of that, I pray, Father, that we would uh, get back to loving and respecting each other. We would think of Proverbs 21.1 and where we're having a hard times submitting with authority, we would pray that you would show them where they're wrong, but you would show us where we're wrong. Even if we don't think we are, you would show us. Father, I pray that we would fall more in love with you so we could fall more in love with each other. I pray, Father, that our homes would be a picture of heaven, more of a picture than what it is now, so that when we do go home, it would remind us of what we've got for eternity. Father, we need each other. We need you. And Father, we're asking you to put it all together. And if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, they're not sure they're going to heaven when they die. They're not sure that their sins have been paid for. Help them understand the gospel, that Christ came and lived a perfect life as 100% man, 100% God. Never once sinned, died on the cross, paid the price for sinners, paid the ransom, so that if we have the ability to believe that that's true, then we tell you we believe that's true, and we surrender ourselves to you. So, Father, I pray that someone here today would surrender themselves to you, believing that what Christ did on the cross was adequate for their salvation. And they would be part of this eternal team and get to play in the starting position you created them to play. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.